Hello, everybody. My name is Reese Lindmark, and you're listening to another episode of Creating a Humanist Blockchain Future, um, where we explore effective altruism, universal basic income, the attention economy, and blockchain. Um, and the first episode concentrated on the attention economy and kind of an overview for that. So in this one, we're going to look at an overview for topics that I'm excited about uh, and effective altruism. And with that, uh, let's get into it. So. First off, an introduction to effective altruism and how I understand it. Um, it is essentially a, a mindset in which we treat all life as equal, uh, in which we quantify the impacts of our actions on the world. Um, so it's a very consequentialist and kind of outcome-focused mindset. And I think about two kind of key aspects of it. The first is in cause selection. And so that means like, how are you spending your time or how are you spending your money? And from that perspective, they usually use um, something called a quali or a quality-adjusted life year um, to measure impact. And what that means is if you can increase someone's quality of life, that's great. Or if you can increase how long someone lives, that's also great. So that's kind of their one metric that matters within the space. Um, and kind of a additional uh, one version of that is looking at something like extinction of the human race, where you say, hey, if the human race became extinct as a result of something like an artificial superintelligence, then uh, that would lose a lot of qualities, a lot of um, quality-adjusted life years. Um, so given those two kinds of things and, and the impact and the outcomes, you can determine, hey, for a given um, cost for, or for a given action, how many, uh, what is the outcome of it and how many like qualities essentially am I um, producing for the world? Um, and one other thing to note with this is that it's very quantitatively based. And for me recently, in fact, uh, I was a little bit sad because I learned that I've been a vegetarian for seven or eight years. Um, and I learned that the amount that I help the environment through vegetarianism is essentially equal to uh, one metric ton of carbon per year. And you can pay uh, this organization called Cool Earth, which is, uh, you can pay them $1.34 a year to have the same impact on the world. So I'm honestly, I'm really reconsidering my vegetarianism because of the pain on me as a result of not even eating meat when I could just pay $1.34 um, to have the same impact on the environment. So that's kind of the cause selection, how uh, effective altruists think about their impact. The uh, second side of things that I personally think is really key to effective altruism is knowing that their, that happiness is logarithmic um, with respect to money. And what that means is they're essentially diminishing returns on money um, with respect to happiness. So the first, you know, after, essentially after I make around $45,000 in the U.S., then uh, additional money after that doesn't do much. An additional, you know, thousand bucks doesn't do much for my happiness. It essentially levels off. But if I'm not making forty-five thousand dollars a year, but rather let's say I'm making, you know, four hundred fifty dollars a year or the equivalent of four hundred fifty dollars a year, then an extra hundred dollars would really make a big difference on my happiness. So I think that's another key part of the effective altruist mindset. It's again, you know. Uh, data-based and, and outcomes-based, but I think it is a key way to say, hey, you know, people in developed countries that have lots of money, 
you're not actually, you know, getting more and more money doesn't actually make you more happy. Uh, and therefore, you should think about uh, how you can, um, how you can essentially use that money for good. And one final note here is that my Patreon is an example of both of these things. So for the cause selection side, I am, uh, I am essentially promoting effective altruism, and that is the second highest cause um, rated by an effective altruist organization called 80,000 Hours. So I'm working on, in theory, a very high-impact cause, and then secondarily, I am... Uh, I have an income cap on myself where the first $1,500 goes to me um, through Patreon, but then after that point, the money gets distributed amongst myself um, and effective altruist organizations because I'm aware of uh, that more money doesn't equal more happiness at a certain point. So that's effective altruism in a nutshell. Um, And now I want to go into some of the things that I'm excited to dive into around critiques within the effective altruist uh, mindset, and specifically like critiquing some of the mindsets of effective altruists, um, of which I would count myself as one. Um, So the first one is, I think that effective altruists think too much about the the magnitude of a given action, um, like how many qualities does uh, does this save? And I think that we should think more about the the delta or the change in time, because I think that that can have a great impact on the stability of the system, which then has later impact on the magnitude of qualities. So a good example of this is AI short-term versus long-term impacts. Um, there was a good uh, Wired article recently about the you know a conference with the Future of Life Institute and how a lot of them were talking about the short-term job loss impacts of AI as a as a big delta that is not a big delta in terms of, it's not a big magnitude in terms of qualities, cost benefit for qualities, but it is a big delta in terms of change of meaning and happiness for people in developed countries whose lives are being, or whose jobs are being taken away by automation and are experiencing technological unemployment. So I think that we really need to think about um, this question of short-term versus long-term impacts um, with respect to AI and that as a way to say, what is the delta of a given, uh, of the qualities here, not just what's the magnitude of the qualities. Um, So that's the first thing that I think about and I'm excited to dive more into. The second thing is how far we should go with consequentialism um, and do the ends always justify the means. And an example of this for me is something like honesty and stealing. Um, and, and one thing that I think about is not using ad block. So I think using ad block is bad because if I go into the internet and I um, essentially want to consume some content and there are some ads that are next to that content, that is the agreement that has been made. Is the person who made content said, I will let you see my content and I will provide you ads to um, watch it or to, to consume it. And if I'm saying, nope, I'm not, I am going to consume your content, but I'm not going to pay you, in the way that you have designated to be paid, you are in essence stealing. You're not stealing very much money, but you're stealing. And I think that making sure that us in the effective altruist community have really, really good means and are kind of playing the game right, um, I think that that would be that would go a long way to showing that we care about the um, that, that that we place high impact on that, and that we're not just purely consequentialist. Um, and, and honestly, I think that doing thinking about means more is a long-term consequentialist positive uh, positive effect. So the other thing that I think about with res- with this and kind of an example with respect to AI is this is related to this concept of AI goal setting 
and whether we're just thinking about the goals or the ends that AI is using or whether we're also thinking about the means that AI is using and something like the, the deep learning and things of that variety. And this is kind of connected to this concept that I talked about last episode around language and the ability for blockchain-based cryptocurrencies to break network effects of something like English and in the long term to allow us to more easily communicate with AIs, I think that could be a powerful way for us to make sure that the means of the AIs are um, are the means that we want. So as to say, in a nutshell, uh, consequentialism good, but want to make sure we're thinking about the means as well. The third thing that I'm excited to dive more into is this concept of the cost of delay as a way to choose causes. Right now, it's not part of 80,000 Hours' um, framework. It's their solvability and scale and neglectedness, but there's not cost of delay. And I know for me personally that I'm choosing something like promoting effective altruism because I believe that the other causes have low cost of delay. The moment that one of the other causes has high cost of delay, then I would work more on that cause instead of the long-term good of something like promoting effective altruism. The fourth thing that I'm excited to talk about is the negative, I haven't seen too much on the internet around the negative externalities of effective altruism. And I think that, you know, the versions of this, especially when you start to combine it with blockchain are, you know, if there's a quantified us or a quantified human organism where everything's kind of based around smart contracts that, um, that are optimized to do the most good for the human organism, then we might lose some of the power of uh, and, and some of the humanity, or at least what we thought of as humanity, um, as us as single entities. So I think that uh, I'd like to go more, dive deeper into uh, effective altruism as an extreme and what some of the negative externalities could be there. So that's one side of things that I'm excited to talk about is kind of critiques of effective altruism. The second is um, how blockchain and effective altruism uh, interrelate. So the first thing that I'm excited by is this this concept of the outcome and consequentialism and what are we what is our really what is our one metric that matters and what do we want that metric to look like? So right now, effective altruists think a lot about qualities and think a lot about decreased risk of extinction, and those are both good, especially given our current context. But as we get better and better at that, and as people become um, as we're decreasing our risk of extinction and as people's lives are becoming uh, closer together in terms of their quality of life, I think we'll need to think more from the perspective of John Rawls's original position. And what I mean by that is, so his original position states, you can imagine a bunch of, let's say, 7.5 billion people um, go into a back room and decide how society operates then and where what the different ranks of society are and then after they say go um they had a quote-unquote veil of ignorance over themselves that said we are not we don't know where you're going to be placed in that society so you want to make sure that the society is kind of as kind of equal-ish as possible um and so i think that we're going to be able to essentially define define our future impact in terms of where people fall on this John Rawls's original position because there's there's no right answer here there's you know you don't some people might want you know perfect equality um, but you know for someone like me I think that there's definitely it's good to have incentives um, to to move up or down in society and so I wouldn't and I also want to be able to like help my kids um, which is essentially if I do well I want to be able to help my kids and so I think that there's no right answer there in terms of how much one should be able to, um, how 
how com collapsed or expanded society's inequality should be, and then, and I think that the metric for that is essentially how much does one is one able to help themselves and help um, help their kids. And what I mean by that is it's this concept of generational inertia, which is if you have some rich person or some poor person, how many years, how many generations does it go down the line in order to um, in order for the that richness or that poorness to essentially go away uh, to become statistically insignificant um you know for a kid below so it's it's unlikely to be the case and i don't want it to be the case that i can that if i am successful and rich or whatever that i can't provide any of that to my kid um but i also don't want it to be the case that 20 generations down the line my kids are still experiencing my great 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 grandchildren are still experiencing the and still experiencing privilege as a result of my uh either previous privilege or success so this is to say that I think that in the future, our optimal outcome, we will be able to more easily track this all on the blockchain with um, things like smart contracts. I think that we will be more easily be able to say where people stand from a generational inertia perspective and from a John Rawls's original per position perspective on how much inequality and change over time they think should exist in the world. Whew. So that is a way to lead into the second point around transparency and people's kind of like uh, their identities on the blockchain. And what I mean by that is you can imagine that someone has a given, uh, I have a generational inertia desire of two, you know, after two generations, I don't want, you know, my, I don't want my kids to see the impacts of my labor or whatever. Um, and maybe someone else has a generational inertia desire of 10. Um, and I think that this kind of transparency is something that we're leaning more and more towards with blockchain, especially um, the blockchain culture, which is kind of uh, which is imbued with transparency. So a good example of this is someone like 21.co who has on their site and on their profiles, you can see whether a given person is donating their the money that they're making to charity. Um, so I think that that's really cool. I think that that's the first step towards what I call a moral persona. And a moral persona you can imagine as this. So uh, there's a uh, a self-sovereign identity app called Uport, and Uport is going to have a bunch of different personas, like a financial persona, like connecting to your banks, and it will have a social persona connecting to LinkedIn and Facebook and whatever. And I also think that it could have something like a moral persona, which allows you to see for a given person you know have they taken the given what we can, giving what we can pledge or how much are they optimizing for themselves or others you know how much do they work for good or for bad or whatever um, and so you might be able to see this as a result of being able to see the transparent supply chains and transparent transactions as a result of smart contracts. So you could look at someone's life and say, ooh, that person, um, I, I know what their smart contract history looks like, I know what their transaction history looks like, and they've generally been working for the greater good, or they've been generally kind of selfish. Um, it's a little bit of a worrying system, perhaps, um, especially determining what kind of metrics we use. Um, and and it's some of that same worry has been you know talked about with China's uh, kind of reputation system that they're building. So this is to say though that this this transparency piece 
and something like a moral persona is one that I'm excited to see more um, through blockchain and I think will incentivize just purely the transparency will incentivize more people to give effectively. Um, the third way, the third thing that I'm excited by at the overlap between effective altruism and blockchain is, you know, something like a do-good coin or an effective altruist coin. And what I mean by that is, so right now they have a bunch of these kind of climate change coins, um, which are ways to essentially incentivize people with cryptocurrency to do good for the environment. Um, so one example here is SolarCoin, and with SolarCoin, you you get money, you can mine um, mine SolarCoin by verifying transactions on the network, but you can also get SolarCoin by producing solar energy. So it's a way essentially to incentivize people to produce solar energy because then you'll get SolarCoin in return. So there's a bunch of different climate change coins that exist. Um, and that's kind of the kind of a more specific version. You can imagine a more abstracted version though of climate change coin, which is just purely like the do good coin or the effective altruist coin. And what that would be is just as you can imagine that, you know, climate change is on a cause prioritization list, um, so too is something like, you know, preventing or diminishing the impacts of an ASI. Um, and so you can imagine someone that was working on that would get like an ASI coin in, in return. Um, and you can imagine that people that are getting climate change coins and ASI coins, they might get in, they might be able to exchange them with a effective altruist coin that is essentially um, the, the market price to exchange between those two things would be the weighted cause, um, the weighted importance of the given cause. So if you were working on a really important cause, you could exchange for effective altruist coin um, at a good market rate because you were working really good and so you should get some effective altruist coins for the work that you're doing. Um, so this concept of an effective altruist coin is something that a good amount of people are thinking about in this space. Um, and they're starting generally with the specific implementations within things that are easier to track, like supply chains and solar energy. Um, but in general, I'm excited to see, to use something like effective altruist coin as a way not only to put transparency on a given person's profile for how much good they've been doing, but also as a way to incentivize um, effective altruisty kind of actions. So um, that is the... <laughs> that's kind of related to this other point around early adopters within a within the blockchain system and how historically speaking um you know poor people have not been as desirable early adopters because they can't because if you give them a point of happiness value they can only give you so much money in return um, and blockchain is really changing the incentive structures for early adopters um, with financial incentives for being an early adopter. But right now, there isn't much that's been done to incentivize um, non-monetary early adopters. And what I mean by that is kind of like an effective altruist coin. You can imagine something like a happiness coin or whatever, where instead of optimizing for monthly recurring revenue or for GDP or for something like that, you are instead optimizing purely for happiness, um, which is a way to essentially not discriminate against poor or rich people um, in terms of how much money they can give you for the, their happiness, but rather just purely how much happiness you provide. And so in addition to the effective altruist coin, I see um, abilities to do things with something like a happiness coin. 
uh, the final end state of a lot of this might be something like a what is essentially the disintermediation of charities through effective altruist DAOs that are controlled by an AI. And what I mean, and, and someone like Rodri Davies has talked about this at the Charities Aid Foundation. And the general concept is, so right now, if I want to just generally give to effective altruism, I can go to like giving what we can's effective altruist funds and, and give money there. But you can imagine the future that there is a, instead of that centralized entity like giving what we can, there's a decentralized autonomous organization or a DAO that um, has within it, um, it essentially knows a lot about randomized control trials. It probably has a lot of prediction markets going in kind of a futarchy way for the AI maybe that's operating within it to say when you give it, you know, a dollar for it to say, hmm, where should I allocate this dollar as a result of, you know, these randomized control trials and these prediction markets um, because I'm trying to optimize for qualities or I'm trying to optimize for good. Um, and so the AI-informed DAO might be able to more effectively distribute effective altruist funds rather than something like giving what we can's uh, EA funds. So that's something that I also expect to see in the future is disintermediation of charities um, through these new um, AI DAOs. The final point here is that I think we should be you know, blockchain will change the way in which we allocate scarce capital and time. Um, so I want to make sure we're thinking about that with respect to effective altruism. And so the big overlaps are A, with scarce capital, we're seeing the disintermediation and the unbundling of venture capital um, as a result of stuff like ICOs. Um, and we're also seeing, you know, a huge impact in, you know, things like peer-to-peer -peer finance and the ability to connect to the financial unbanked in the worlds. So those are two big impacts on scarce capital that we're going to see. And then also we're going to see some impacts on scarce attention. And what I mean by that is right now we have something like the time well spent movement, which essentially is trying to say, hey, don't consume as much, um, don't spend as much time on Facebook because it doesn't make you that happy. Um, but I think I wanted to change more, or expect it to change more into kind of these future of work realities where we are able to say, hey, are you spending your time well in effective altruistic sense, in a future of work sense, um, and, and being able to kind of think about that through these blockchain-enabled um, kind of distributed systems in the future of work. And, and the other side of this with the attention economy is not only the outputs in the future of work side, but also the inputs um, and how can we make sure that the content that we're consuming and the things that we're consuming are, you know, have skin in the game and are have aligned incentives and are, you know, in an aggressive way, could I consume things and could there be curation markets and scaffold markets such that I am, you know, trying to spend my consumption time well for something like effective altruism. So um, those are the ways that I'm excited to see blockchain and effective altruism kind of interrelate. And the final topic for today is this concept of the, <coughs> excuse me, um, the concept of uh, these topics that William McCaskill um, at the Center for Effective Altruism and the topics that he's excited for people to explore with these individual EA grants. And so the first one of these that I want to talk about is impact investing. And something that I'm excited to see in this space is how much ICOs start to give back to the community. And what I mean by that is right now, 
they are people are arguing for ICOs to give more money to something like the Ethereum Foundation, and you can imagine the future something like a pledge one percent, um, which is a, a pledge one percent, which is something that um, venture capitalists and companies take on, where they pledge one percent of their money um, to do good for their community. You can imagine something like a pledge one percent, but for ICOs and maybe for um, to either give back to the Ethereum Foundation or to give to effective charities. So I think that that will be a way for impact investors to see transparently around which companies they might want to invest in as a result of, ooh, they are pledging 1% to the Ethereum Foundation or they're pledging 1% to, of their ICO to effective altruism. I think that'll be a way that, if, that we'll see impact investing change within the blockchain space. The second thing um, that William is excited by is these um, essentially unexplored politics um and what that means is right now there aren't, there's not too much um overlap between effective altruism and politics um but i think especially with something like blockchain we're going to see um these the kind of in some ways we might see the decentralization of nation states um and as we're we're working with the distributed power rather than a decentralized or rather than a centralized power um the thing that I'm most worried about is being aware of the that delta, that power shift. If you imagine that all the governments just change like that to be, you know, distributed, decentralized, you know, blockchain-based, you know, local, hyper-local DAO governments, then that would be all the people that were in the old government would be very sad as their um, power decrease. So I really want to make sure that we are kind of smoothly transitioning from uh, nation-state-based centralized power into non-nation-state-based decentralized power. Um, and then the third thing is, that William talked about is, you know, he thought that there was lots of great content already on the internet around a lot of the topics that he was interested by, but there's no one source for them. Um, and I definitely agree with that, and I think that this is just a perfect time for attention economy-based blockchain solutions like scaffold markets and curation markets, um, where we'll be able to say, hey, if you're a person who wants to learn about effective altruism, it, there are incentives for people to to have made um, scaffolded content or curated content um, for people to easily consume that. So that's the final thing that I'm excited by there. Whew. So that is the day we talked um, about a bunch of different things that I'm excited by in the effective altruism space. Um, and the one I'm most excited by is uh, something like an effective altruist coin. Also, you'll be able to see on the, there's a link to a Medium post as well on my site, which has other additional projects to explore within the space. Um, and one final note is I will be interviewing people on the podcast uh, soon uh, that are in the Effective Ultra space. So excited for those conversations to happen to see how they think uh, what the future of Effective Altruism looks like. And one final note is if you like the show um, or have any feedback or questions, um, please you know check me out on Patreon. Uh, go to patreon.com slash Rieslandmark. That's slash R-H-Y-S-L-I-N-D-M-A-R-K. Uh, and you can go there and either support or check out uh, what I'm doing. So thank you so much for your time um, and excited to be back for episode three soon. Thanks. Bye.